this is low fine elite i'm your host tyler burn on today's episode i talked to carol piccarlo carol is from maryland but lived in new zealand 10 years or less or more it's one of those two either order i don't like intros okay let's just fucking get to it okay this one's called party boy what kind of diamond would you choose to crush into the riverbed What kind of night brings you to an edge, a match, a pipe? Then see yourself away down the road, losing temperature as you go. It isn't a party we want, only a party boy, left out in the rain for a week until he's all ruined and wet. What did your mother tell you about her star signs? Astral projection has saved hundreds of dollars, taken from the rich and given over to the stars. In another lifetime, you were a bat, a bay, a boy, a bicycle. In another life, I ate a ghost walking in my woods. His head was as loose as my morals. I tied him to my bedpost and read him hymns and other nonsense. Going inside is never as good as being outside in another dimension. I heard about an elephant that ate its own trunk, swallowed it until it choked. Once upon a time, the moon was made of pastrami on rye. Sirius bit it and it turned to stone. Wonderful things will happen during crisis. Why do you doubt a bishop? Respectfully, the best pizza is made in the furnaces of hell. Come over on a Tuesday and I will give you a rabbit. To boil or not to boil, you decide. Never give up on tasting your own earwax. A stitch of chemtrails marks the sky and I love you. There isn't a way to get at the thoughts in our heads. We lock them up in a box and smashing won't do. Out of all of the stupid ways humans exist, dying is the worst. If you come back as a crab, I promise I'll eat your mustard. Seven circles exist in heaven and in hell, but we have 7,000. A reckoning will come when the birds drop from the skies. Do not fear eternal death. Wow. <laughs> Have you sent that out? Um, I did. It hasn't it hasn't been accepted anywhere though. But I've read mm-hmm. it at a couple readings around town. So yeah. It, it I have a question about like, okay, so in New Zealand it feels like New Zealand poets, they do like or y'all, if you consider yourself part of the New Zealand, like, scene since you were there for, like, the past 10 or 15 years. You incorporate a lot of nature into the poem, but it's not just, like, it's not just incorporating nature. Nature becomes almost a character in the poetry. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I think, like, um, I don't know. I feel like I've been back in America for about a year and a half now. And I was pretty young when I left. I was like 22. So I feel like I'm like reorienting myself to like reality in America. 
because like when I went over there, I just felt like New Zealand was this like sort of like, um, I don't know, like just kind of this amazing place that was so different than the States, but maybe it's not. But I do think like people over there, the ones that I was meeting are like really connected to the earth and like, yeah. like, like nature is just like a part of the daily life. And I think like, even in, even in a city in New Zealand, there's still a lot of appreciation for nature and like places to go in nature, like right in the city, at least in mm -hmm. Wellington. Um, so maybe that helps. Cause I feel like when I was younger and living in the States, it was a lot harder to find places like that. Functionally looking for them, you can find them now. But I was just really impressed by like how close everyone is to nature in New Zealand. When you moved over there, did you know anyone? Just from the internet. Poets? Yeah. Yep. Besides that, was it hard to get used to when you first moved over there? Yeah, for sure. I think like the life, the pace of life over there is a little bit different. Like social cues are a little bit different. Like really? even just like stores and brands of things and like just like jargon <laughs> like everything's like it's like the same language but a completely different culture so. is it like slow down or faster um it's definitely slower um and like people take more breaks with things i think like mm -hmm. it's not it's not it doesn't have that same feel where if you're in like a in like a corporate field in the states it's like trying to like squeeze every ounce of productivity out of you i feel like that's less the vibe there it definitely it happens but it's like a bit more regulated and there's like better pay and stuff like that wow. so was it because i know you started a bookstore and you worked with stacy and ash on a book uh press so was it yeah. is it like is it i guess easier to accumulate the um like uh, uh the want or the strive to do that if you guys are taking breaks or are you just doing it as you normally would but there's the culture is i mean that's that a great question i feel like because i started the press and at first the people you're talking about ash and stacy were editors and i was one of two publishers and i think like the pace we started out with at first was way too fast and they've kind of slowed it down a bit which i think is better because at first we were trying to put out at least i think it was i think we put out four books within the span of a year and I think we all felt pretty burnt out by that. And we were like, we need to kind of like slow this down. I would have been on board with that if I was still over there and working with them for sure. But yeah, I mean, it, when you're doing creative stuff, like, I don't know, the pace thing I was talking about was more like your regular nine to five job. I think creative people over there are always sort of hustling and doing a bunch of stuff at once and getting mm -hmm. burnt out over that too. <laughs> That's no yeah. different you know the culture over there seems very very connected like everyone supports each other as opposed to over here where everyone's i guess we are supported but there's more uh like 
jealousy and resentment? Do you think there's jealousy and resentment over there? Um, or I mean, if we're, I don't know about jealousy and resentment. I think there's like really tight knit communities and, mm -hmm. um, I mean, sort of the nature of any like small community. Um, there's definitely some friction there, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like some gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. um, but in my experience, having done a master's in creative writing in the States, Wow. And then coming back to Baltimore, where I felt like when I left, there was a pretty big community of writers here, including like Adam Robinson, who's moved like twice since then. But wow. he was like a big staple of the Baltimore scene. Mm -hmm. I haven't found that again yet, like being over here. Like maybe it's here. I feel like Philly has a really good like um, small press culture and like zine culture and stuff which i haven't explored enough yet yeah um, so i think it's still happening some places where you do get that sense of a really tight-knit community but i don't know i haven't been as focused on it well i've been looking but i haven't been like it hasn't been it has it hasn't fallen into my lap the way it did in new zealand well yeah like like it's just so precious over there. Like yeah. there's a lot of care around creative communities. And like ten years ago too, the alt lit or all that stuff was really booming, and now it's really kind of died down. So it probably is harder to find a community coming back. Yeah. Over here. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like I found community in other. Um, disciplines like mm -hmm. the music community in Baltimore is really strong and um like the like I guess like the arts community in terms of like visual arts is really strong mm -hmm. and I've made a lot of connections with that but definitely not um sort of I feel like when I got to New Zealand there was a model for poetry and presses and even small presses happening in Wellington and in Auckland to like a smaller extent too with like university presses but then also a few smaller presses that were already established but there were a lot of people my age who really wanted to create new avenues mm -hmm. and were like either in the sort of like Victoria University, which now is, um, God, I'm gonna butcher the name, but it's they've changed their name slightly since then. So don't, I should look it up and actually say it correctly, but um, what was known as Victoria University in, of Wellington, um, there's like a well-established press through there that like a lot of people take like a one-year master's creative writing class mm -hmm. with that and then have a much easier time getting published by that university once they've gone through that system and i think there were a lot of people going through that and outside of that who are like we need more like yeah. more 
options and more more um more avenues for readings more avenues for publishing and then in the 10 years that i was there there were people myself included actively trying to like increase the scope of things and i've just felt like there was never never like a lack of people writing who mm -hmm. were writing really well and like writing really impressive stuff and didn't necessarily have um somewhere that was just like a lock-in like i'm gonna get this published here but then like now there's more avenues for that sort of stuff and it's just like a really nice place to be a creative person yeah <laughs> yeah whereas yeah. like in baltimore if i had a a manuscript i wouldn't really know what to do with it in baltimore you know that's true, yeah. Whereas, like in wellington i would know exactly who to talk to and where to go and stuff like that do you think people are satisfied over in new zealand just being like if they're well known and popular just being popular and well known in new zealand or do you think because like buying a book over in new zealand i guess this is a different point but it's, it costs like 70 bucks for like <laughs> one book I wish it was like cheaper, but if it was cheaper, I think that people would be more well known because it's so good. The writing is so good. Yeah. There. I think some people are happy with where they are. I think mm -hmm. some people are starting to get deals. Um, like, I mean, it's not like everyone is, but a couple of people have made it big, sort of like Hera Lindsay Bird and, um, Hey, Tibble, just for like two examples of poets who have contracts in the UK or in the States or elsewhere. Um, and they hustle pretty hard to like get, I mean, I don't know what Hera's up to these days in terms of international stuff, but I know Tay's like constantly out of, out of the country these days mm -hmm. like yeah. you know doing stuff in europe and like promoting wow. herself and getting things moving so i think if you have that drive and ambition and you're that good there are ways to get it out of new zealand and the presses will work to try to get international you know deals but the everyday no i would say like most people don't get that well known and i think that for a lot of them that's a frustration um mm -hmm. especially like the younger generations like people my age and younger like you know i don't know whether i i don't know if saying like they take it they take the community there for granted is the right way because like they've just grown up with it so it's kind of like the norm for them they're like well, i want something bigger but yeah. it's like my experience of America is that like sometimes bigger isn't better because you get kind of lost in the, you know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> lost in the many, many different streams and lack of sort of unified. Okay. Like I feel like with presses in New Zealand, like sometimes they'll even work together for like a, a an event or like an opening. And it's a lot more sort of, we're all in this creative field together. Whereas, Maybe it's like that in the States, but I don't know. I don't see it as much, maybe. So you said you were a publisher with uh, the press you had uh, with Stacey Nash. Where did you start out in your, I guess let's start out with your 
like beginning? Sure. Um, I mean, yeah. So obviously my, like the start of the press came with the start of the bookshop. Mm -hmm. So I started um, food court books during the pandemic, like late 2020. And it was done with like a crowdfunding thing. And we reached our target for the shop really quickly. So then we added on an, another target to get funding for the first couple of books for the press. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how we sort of funded Phi, which was Nicole Titsihuya Hawkins' book, and also Rachel O'Neill's book. Those are the first two we published. And I think it was just like pretty early in the process. Like, I think it was even after we got funding that we brought Stacy and Ash in because I had been talking to Stacy about it for a long time, like as a possibility. And she really wanted to be an editor. And then Ash is, Ash is like her best friend. Mm -hmm. So, and also an incredible poet. So we were just like, Ash is really into this too. We should do this all four of us because it was with Jay Newland as well. So, did you know Stacy? I guess before you even went to New Zealand initially. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, we knew each other from like the alt lit stuff, and she was one of the people I visited when I went over there at the beginning. Where did you start like writing? Were you a writer as like a young kid? I mean, yeah, not poetry and stuff. But, like, as a little kid, I was like, I want to be an author and an illustrator. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just didn't really do anything with it for a long time. And, like, would write lyrics and, like, really crappy lyrics in high school and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, in college, I took a couple creative writing classes for fiction. was, like, writing my own stuff that way. But then, like when I did my master's, it was for fiction and I would just write poetry as sort of like a break from writing fiction. And now I don't write fiction at all. I just write poetry. So. Did they like get mad at you? You're just like writing poetry when you're supposed to be doing fiction or did you like, do you like switch? Like you're, yeah, like, no, I wasn't presenting poetry to the, like to the group. Oh. Like it was literally, I was doing my, I was doing my work for, workshop and then like when i wasn't doing that work i wasn't writing fiction i was just writing poetry and it was kind of at that stage in my life it was kind of just like a break yeah it was like it was like what i wanted to be doing because so it was like liberating. i wasn't to do it for a class you know mm -hmm. yeah. i was like a completely different part of your brain in my mind it's like like writing a poem feels so different than writing fiction or nonfiction or anything like that. Were you editing like any like magazines at the time? Cause I know you were like an editor too, or you've been an editor many, many, many times. Yeah. I think, I think that um, like up was, I don't know if you remember that, but I, I think that was the first one I did it was like up literature. It's like with Raj Mashramani from Philly. She was like a part of the scene at the very beginning and is like now like a social worker and does like sci-fi stuff. 
home. So where do you right. get like the ambition to start your own thing very early on? Well, collaboration, like talking to other people who have the same interests as you and you're not seeing that, like you're not seeing a platform for what you want to see. I think like for me, yeah, the collaboration aspect was what kind of like would kickstart things. Cause it was like easy enough to say like, oh, I wish I had somewhere to submit this or I wish I was seeing something like this out there but like not do anything about it because you're just one person. But mm -hmm. then like when there was that community, whether it's like early days of Alt-Lit or like, you know, the poetry community in Wellington or whatever, I feel like once there's other people talking about the same thing you're talking about, like it's easier to feel ambitious when there's other people involved. Yeah, that's true. So when did you get into Real Pants? I remember that site. I always liked that site because they were like irreverent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I was what was I doing? I was doing like reviews for them for a while. I just have known Adam for so long. I haven't seen him in forever now, but I just knew Adam from back in like the days of Steve Roganbuck and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I think because I was living in DC. And Steve and Pancho Pellegroso did a reading in Baltimore that Adam hosted. And then I just started becoming better friends with Adam. And I guess Real Pants was like sort of just launching and he was like accepting pitches about different things. And I just pitched an idea to him and he was like, yeah. <laughs> Have you considered writing like maybe like a nonfiction or just like a history of your experiences with alt lit because you seem to be able to remember these names and some of these people who aren't writing anymore and have maybe dropped by the wayside yeah i think about nonfiction a lot i'm like i don't know like it's a weird thing for me because it feels um I don't know. It's just like a weird space to try to focus on the past, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it I think it could be cool, but I also would be really like wary of like the tone too cuz it's like my experiences weren't everyone's experiences. Like you'd have to really get other people's perspectives on it cuz it's a community. Or it could just be yours in like your own story through <laughs> yeah 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 i mean just in a general sense i think about like am i ready to write write nonfiction? and i li i like read a lot of nonfiction and listen to a lot of audiobooks of like nonfiction from like i don't know mostly memoirs i guess but like joan didion and stuff and it's just like a really impressive thing to be able to harness but i don't really know i feel like i'm just like waiting for it to be the right time because whenever i try to write nonfiction, in my experience it comes off like kind of hokey or something so maybe yeah. i just spend a little bit more time with my voice or something or maybe but start off with like doing it in a poem and then transitioning as you're writing through it i don't know yeah be a weird exercise i know
Well, like my partner Tom and I last year went on like a three month road trip and we talked about trying to write something from that because we both write poetry mm-hmm. and we were going to try to do like a sort of mixed media thing. Maybe that isn't like we never ended up doing it, but maybe that's more um like feels a little bit less of like a crazy ambitious thing to do because then you can kind of piece it together from different things and like if I'm doing something with poetry that feels more nonfiction that's like less scary because mm-hmm. it's like a form I feel more confident with maybe so when you're you're doing a master's in fiction and then you start doing these poems like in your notebook where do you go after that just like you do your site and then you work with other people. Do you, do you ever go back to school to do uh, poetry? Um, no, I've never done anything with poetry like that. I think, I feel like I've taken a couple of like workshops or whatever, like shorter things while I was in New Zealand. And I've also taught some, but I don't know. Like, that's just, I mean, it feels like kind of, um, who knows who has the authority to teach a class Mm -hmm. like that. I think anyone can. Yeah, I mean, I guess anyone can. But it's not like I was super qualified or anything. But, no, I mean, where did I, where did I go? Like, where did I go? Um, I mean, if we're talking, like, back in the day, all-let stuff, like, the main encouragement for my poetry was let people poems which was that website that sean gannon started with um oh my goodness what's his name he lives in pennsylvania you know more than me i don't know this stuff (laughs) this is more it's out of my realm bj bird who did pangerman party do you remember that at all no. Yeah. Well, Pangerman Party was like a website um, where people uploaded chat books. Like DJ would ask people, or people would present them to DJ, and then they were really cool formats where it was like a digital chat book. That sounds like Bear Parade or Panda yeah. Parade. I think it's really similar to that because they would talk about that a lot as like an inspiration. Um, but anyway, DJ and Sean, who was in my program, like he did the same masters as me, but for poetry, um, the two of them started let people poems, which was just a site where as long as you had the login details, like you could post whatever poems you wanted on there and then people could comment on them. So I felt like that was like a huge catalyst for me being inspired to write poetry and, like get better at it and give other people feedback and stuff. And so, yeah, I would say like without that, who knows how much poetry I would have ended up writing. It's really cool hearing like you, you saying that you're like more creative because of this idea that someone else created because they were inspired by this other thing that was created. (laughs) I wish there was more of that right now going on, I guess in the community instead of people talking about, Oh, the indie lit scene is dying and stuff. It's like if you create, if you get ambitious and create something, you're more likely to inspire yourself and other people. Yeah. And like 
to bring it back to what's going on in New Zealand, I feel like that's what you're talking about too, where like over there, it's not hard to find poetry readings. It's not hard to find contemporary poetry books made by people who live in the same city as you and are readily available on shelves in bookstores. And mm. like, it feels like that exists in the States too, but it's such, like there aren't just two cities or four cities, you know, like there's yeah. thousands of places where that's going on. And to like varying degrees of like, I don't know, like just varying degrees of success. Whereas like, like I can, I can go on a, you know, trip to California and go into a small bookshop and see what the poetry selection is there. But to be honest, if I don't know what I'm looking for, maybe I'm overlooking things that are made by like people in California. But I usually see sort of the like expected selection of like somewhat larger indie presses yeah. and names that have been going around for a while and presses like Grey Wolf and things like that, which like feel way more outside of the scope of something I could just like make on my own. You know. So, do you have any plans to start uh, a press or be a publisher now? I mean, I have the like. I feel like I have all the skills at this point. Yeah, right? totally. Like I know what mm -hmm. I'm doing because I started the one that's now thriving in New mm -hmm. Zealand, and like just on that note, like for the there's a there's a big sort of like poetry prize that comes around every year in New Zealand and they have one for like the best book of poetry and then they have one for the best first book of poetry and the past two years books that we are babies which is now tender press um put out have won the best first book so it's like that makes me feel confident, right? Like mm -hmm. what I'm doing was working and I can't do it there anymore. And I'd love to have a place to do it here. But it's like, um, I guess the thing stopping me is that I literally don't know enough poets in my area at all. <laughs> like, Oh man. And I don't know if that's me not looking hard enough and like, splitting my focus because like now I'm doing stuff with music too. It's like, I don't know if it's because I'm more focused on music or if it's just not there. Was it case, ever... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, sorry. I was just going to say that like, if I had tried to start a press, like I did mm -hmm. in the first year that I moved to New Zealand, I wouldn't have had a clue what I was doing. Cause like, it just took time to like, get immersed in that community. And I feel like part of my confidence comes from how well I knew the community and how well, how like tapped in I was to what was going on. So trying to do that over here right now, for me, doesn't feel like it makes sense because I'm just not tapped into the community here. And I'm hoping there is one, but I just literally haven't found it. Yeah, <laughs> but that's... I would, like, I, I, I could, and I would, mm -hmm. if I, if I get 
that collaboration and those people that feel like they're on the same page as me, I would absolutely do that again. Yeah, I've been wanting to start a magazine for like the past 10 years, but like 10 years ago, I I didn't know anyone in any community. I kind of, it's taken me time to develop uh, social relationships within the, on the internet and other places. I was going to ask yeah. you, has it been a, was it ever approached to you to stay within We Are Babies, but like represent them just in the US? Would that even be something that would be possible? I mean, that is something that I wished for, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something that um, Ash or Stacy were comfortable exploring. Um, so for them, it was like, if I couldn't be in Wellington, then that was not gonna work for them. So I think that's why they rebranded the press as Tender Press for just the two of them. Because they didn't really see a, a place for me in the press anymore. And they want to focus on specifically New Zealand. And New yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is fair because it's like that's their community and that's what they know, you know. Um, and if it was only going to be the three of us. I could see that bringing a lot of chaos, trying to like have mm-hmm. like me as an element in the States, like, hey, I found this person and they have no clue who it is. And then mm-hmm. they're finding new people in Wellington and I've never heard of them. Um, I feel like for some people it could work, but for our specific press, for them, they didn't really see it, see it working like that. No, that makes sense. And I've bothered Stacy sometimes. She's very she loves New Zealand. She's very pro New Zealand and the culture oh, yeah. and the history <laughs> in her family. Yeah, for sure. There's good reason to be, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a real that is a, a shame for me. Um, that was a really hard sort of letting go of that and letting them sort of take over and realizing that that's, that was the best thing for them and for the press. Um because it's really exciting to see, you know, um, just a few weeks ago, one the book um, "We're All Made of Lightning" yeah. um, by Kadra Mohammed just was announced as like the winner of this poetry award that I'm talking about, where she got best first book, and you know, I feel very disconnected from that now in terms of you know. Um, I'm just I'm just witnessing it on social media too. But yeah. Wish I Did wish there was a way. Sorry. Did you work on it with them? Yeah, yeah. I I pull I I'm the one who specifically me. Um, I'm the one who reached out to Cadro, um, and got her on board initially because I'd seen her scenes and she was selling her scenes in my bookshop. Um, and she worked at the library with Jay as well. Um, that's sort of how I got to know her. And then I was the one who sent her the email asking if she would want to publish a full collection with us. And then Stacy and Ash were the editors for her book, but Jay and I were the publishers and did the final edits for the book at the beginning of last year. So, have, yeah. Have you seen people like that before and like, been turned down what do you like mean if you, if you send the you, you see this person with their their zines and their collections of poetry and you send out an email like an inquiry that we would like to publish a book of your work has anyone tur- ever turned you down 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if they've they've nicely turned me down. Like they mm -hmm. either say, "Oh, it's not a good time right now. I'm still working on this, or I'm doing that, and I'm not ready yet." Or I think, um, you know, they're just not sure what press they can get. And I I feel like now that <laughs> I would assume now that you know, we are babies slash tender press has gotten awards two years in a row. People are a little bit more confident, but it's kind of hard when it's like a new press. You don't really know, um, you know, how professional they're going to be or how established it's going to be. And there's some people who I sent those sorts of emails to who were currently students at the university who are still just kind of like, I have no idea what I want to do with this collection. So if they were, if they were rejecting me, it was really nicely. <laughs> but I think some people just, you know, weren't at the stage where they were to even make a decision about publishing. Yeah. So you guys, it sounds like you all created that uh, Tuners Press or We Are Babies to because you saw the maybe the gatekeeping and you wanted to yeah. uh, you like a fast forward process for the writers that you like well yeah i mean i was just it's a there's a big like i said there's a big poetry community in new zealand but um especially more towards the beginning of the time i was there it did feel very like if you don't if you're not affiliated with the university or you're not a big name who's like sort of self-started, um, you're not necessarily gonna get poetry readings and you're not necessarily gonna get a book published by the university or by one of the few, like smaller number of small presses that were operating in the area at the time. And it felt like there were a lot of people who were just kind of like, I don't know what to do because I've written all these poems and, you know, I'm, I'm writing, I'm trying to establish myself, but I'm, I'm not really seeing anywhere to do readings and I'm not really seeing anywhere to publish. And I think definitely not just myself, like there are a lot of literary magazines and poetry reading series that have started up since I got to New Zealand. And it was all sort of on that kick of like, there needs to be more options for people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I would say, I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> does that answer that? No, you're fine. You know? No, you're good. Uh, did you? So this book just won the, uh, an award. I bought. That's the like one I recently bought. It was like seventy bucks. I just like tweeted a page of it oh, and like based. And basically all in New Zealand basically liked it. I think they're, <laughs> yeah. maybe they're excited that someone outside of New Zealand was reading it. I'm not sure. Yeah, for it just, sure. It got a crazy amount of attention. It's a really fucking oh. good book though. Yeah. Well, oh, now I remember I got kind of sidetracked, but I was going to talk, speak about how you said like, I don't know. Um, what I'll say is like, with Nicole's book and with Cadro's book, neither of them had done like the university track. Neither of them had like 
gone and done this master's program. And I remember seeing when I was like first gearing up and thinking about the press, but it hadn't even been created yet. I remember seeing a Facebook post from Nicole where she was like, I have this whole book of poems, but nobody wants to publish it. And I guess part of the reality was that it had been overlooked or rejected, I guess, by the university press. And so she was pretty disheartened and was like, am I even going to get this published anywhere? And even at the time, I was like, hold on to it. I'm starting a press. Let's see what happens. And then Stacy and Ash edited her book for the press and like kind of transformed it into like the best version of itself that I guess like when the university press was seeing it and they didn't know who she was or what was going on, they didn't see the same thing in it that we saw or like want to take a chance on it the way that we did. And I think that's sort of a trend um, with the bigger presses in New Zealand where it's like, oh, we don't really know this person or we don't really understand their perspective. Um, you know, a lot of people who either haven't been through the university system or are minorities or whatever, and they just kind of don't know how it's going to be received or what the audience would be or whether it's even at the level they want to publish. And then, like, now I'm kind of seeing that a lot of those people who maybe would have been overlooked by the university presses are having a better chance with them now because of smaller presses like We Are Babies slash Tender Press and other small presses like Compound Press who are publishing things that it kind of makes the university presses have to kind of stand up and say, well, maybe we should be publishing work like this too because this is what's winning the awards and, and we shouldn't be so cautious, you know? Were you all afraid at first to take a chance on people that you weren't sure we're going to maybe do well? Um, or were you no. like fucking 100% sure that this was gonna go over well? I think we were pretty sure. I think like, yeah, I mean, I think there's such a, people like poetry over there. People buy poetry and like go to poetry readings and like, it is a lot of poets for poets, you know? Like, it's a lot of people who are poets themselves doing the, um, getting excited and, and coming to the different readings and stuff. But it's a pretty good-sized community. And the people we were publishing first, like, Nicole didn't have a book out yet, but she was pretty well-known in Wellington. Um. I would say, like, just had sort of a lot of support around her. And then Rachel, whose book we also published in that, like, first quarter, it was their second book. So they had published a book called One Human in Height, like, years and years before through Hue and Cry Press, but Hue and Cry Press had shut down. Excuse me. So I'd been talking to Rachel for a while about what they were going to do with their next manuscripts because 
they obviously couldn't use Hue and Cry, which was an, another similar, like, small press. It didn't have, like, a university affiliation or anything. And so I think from that, I was just kind of like, um, you know, it was pretty low stakes because we had the crowdfunding money. And we were doing our best with, like, budgeting so that it wasn't, like, a ton of money out of pocket for those first two books. And I felt like there was there were enough people who were excited about Nicole that there was going to be a little bit of hype. And there were enough people who wanted another book from Rachel that there was going to be a little bit of hype. And I was just kind of, like, going for it. I, and I think it, like, at least with Nicole's book, we had to reprint it like several times within the first couple months Whoa. and it's got so much hype like so much more attention than we thought than i even would have thought it was going to get so i think somehow it all just really worked out well for us but i don't know this the initial part was just kind of like i want to see this book you know mm -hmm. and like if people don't want it fine but i want to see it and since i was like since the four of us were so interested in them it was kind of like, well, we're just going to do it and see what happens, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you guys ever have any plans in place to publish your own material? No, not really. Because um, I had, I have stuff that, um, like a couple different manuscripts that have never gotten published anywhere, not for my lack of trying. And I know when we started the press, um, Jay was kind of like encouraging me to see if the group would want to publish some of my stuff. But when I presented it to Stacy and Ash, the vibe was kind of just like, none of us, like they didn't really want to publish their own stuff through the press. And they didn't seem too interested in publishing like my stuff or Jay's stuff either. And I think that's, that was kind of a good call honestly because like i don't think there's any problem with that but i do think it's so much easier to like not thoroughly and carefully edit your own work or for there to be issues if someone else on your team is editing the publisher's work to mm. maybe not feel as comfortable being tough or you know, like, I feel like it just could could end up kind of creating a weird vibe with the press, too. I think it's worked really well for some people, but I definitely don't regret not not going there. And I, as far as I know, Stacy and Ash aren't planning on putting out their own work through the press either. If they did, that would be cool, but that was definitely not their vibe when I was still part of the press. I bring this up to a lot of people that come on here. I always ask them if they ever plan on uh, having their own podcast. I think you would do really well at having your own podcast, even if you like <laughs> interview people over from New Zealand and talk yeah. about your experiences. Well, I would love to do that sort of thing eventually. Um, I feel like just for personal reasons, I need some distance from New Zealand for now. Um, like, it's kind of hard, but I still have so much love for New Zealand. So hopefully 
at some point I could do that. Yeah. So are you ever, do you ever plan on going back? Right now you're just spending time in America. Yeah. I mean, yes, I would, I would like to take a trip to visit. It's pretty complicated. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would like to be able to do it drama free, you know, I would like to do it knowing that, um, everything would kind of go smoothly because I kind of, I, I left kind of unintentionally, you know, like my, my father passed away last year. And so oh, I, I flew over thinking I was only going to be in the States for three weeks. And then I just stayed because my mom's sick. So I'm living with my mom now. So yeah. <laughs> And then it was kind of like a lot of upheaval because that sort of I'd, I'd made a life there and then that life got blown up. And then I came over here and was like, well, it feels right to be over here for now. So it's kind of just like this weird, like fraught situation where it's like, you know, I'd like to go back and spend some time there. But I also don't want to be too far away from my mom right now. Um, and there's a lot of unresolved sort of interpersonal stuff in New Zealand that I'd have to deal with going back over there. So hopefully someday. And like my my current partner, Tom, um, lived in Hawaii for a long time, like while I was living in New Zealand. So last year we took a trip out to hawaii and i'd love to be able to for the both of us to take a trip out to new zealand because it's so cool mm -hmm. to like show someone this whole sort of different culture to your own and like this whole different world which is what i feel like i experienced in hawaii when i went with him because it's like he's like a local there you know and like to a certain extent i mean to the same extent he was a local, I feel like I was a local in New Zealand. So yeah, I would I definitely will be traveling back to New Zealand if I can. Um, but I don't know how I I would be able to live there anytime soon again. Maybe they would celebrate you and welcome you with open arms. No, I doubt it. Uh, well, <laughs> Because of, yeah, I mean, I don't really, I don't want to make this about that stuff, but there was quite a bit of sort of um, like gossip and, and issues with my separation from Jay Newland. And so um, I think it would be great if, if that was the reception I got, but I think it would be a lot more complicated than that, unfortunately. Have you thought about taking your mom over there? Uh, no, I don't think I could. She's like, she has PSP, which is really similar to Parkinson's. So she, she like uses a walker and falls all the time and she's not doing too well. So oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think she's pretty much bound to Maryland. My big goal is to get her back on her sailboat this summer. 
Oh, y'all have a sailboat. That's cool. Yeah, we just got back from it today. Whoa. You take it out? <laughs> How far do you go? Do you go like fishing? Um, no. Well, that's the thing. Growing up, my my dad's my dad was the captain. So growing up, um, I would like spend summers on the boat, like for months at a time. We'd just go out on the bay, on the Chesapeake Bay. Um but now that he's passed last year, I'm like, my ambition is to get my boating license. But in the meantime, I need to find someone who can actually sail the boat. So we like, we go down and hang out on the boat, but we haven't taken it out last year or this year because it's like a 55 foot boat. And Whoa. I'm just absolutely not capable of captaining. <laughs> what, what entails getting your uh, boat license? It's like a, it's like classes you have to take. But do you go out with like a team of people and then you have to like take a boat test? Like, a, is it like yeah. a driver's thing? Yeah, it's like, it's like similar, I think, to getting your driver's license where you have to like sit in like a room and take lessons and then like go out on the boat. And I think they start you off with just like a really small sailboat so that you can get a feel for like how the wind works and everything. But yeah. Did you sail I totally down? Do it. <laughs> huh? I said I would totally do it. It's just like I have to find the time for it and really commit to it. So you used to sail when you were a kid a lot? Yeah. Like I could be on a I could crew a boat, but I'm just not a captain, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I, I know stuff, <laughs> but I don't know everything. Did y'all go fishing off the boat? Um, we went crabbing off the boat. We didn't mm. really do much fishing because, like, it's a sailboat. So I don't really know if a sailboat is really designed to be a fishing boat. So what's crabbing like? What is the process in that? I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty like DIY. Like we would get like chicken necks from the store, like attach fish, like attach like. Um, what do you call it? Like twine to them and like hang them off the side of the boat. Like the you'd make the twine the same length as like the depth of the water so that the chicken net could like be on the bottom. And then you'd wait for a nibble and then slowly pull it up. And wow. someone would stand next to you with like a net and then they if you saw a crab on the chicken neck, you'd like scoop the net and catch it. So you spend like a lot of your time outdoors then when you're a, a child. Yeah. So what was the move to, uh, I guess the internet. True. I spent a lot of time on the internet as a kid too, though. I mean, it was like, it was the kind of thing where it was like, it was mandatory to go boating, you know, like it was mm -hmm. mandatory to go sailing and I sort of fought it a lot as a kid because I was like, I just want to sit on the internet and talk to my friends. I want to mm. hang out, you know, like in high school. I was like, I want to hang out with my boyfriend. But I really appreciate it now. <laughs> Wish I'd had a better attitude about it, <laughs> you know. But you I mean, any... I was always, I was always just like talking to friends online at the same time too. But I think you can have an appreciation for both. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I you still like both. <laughs> you could do a reading on a boat. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, I want to do a music video on the boat, too. 
What? Yeah. Oh, you should do that. Yeah. What kind of music? <laughs> well, my partner Tom is in a few different bands, but I'm in one with him called Clam Strip. And we do like experimental noisy stuff that's like absurd with like absurd lyrics. Like we have poems about or poems. I call them poems because I mean I'm writing lyrics for this now. And that's kind of where I've transitioned my creative stuff where I feel like I'm just writing songs instead of poems now. But we have like songs about hamsters and like I don't know. Uh one called Linda is a snake. Yeah. One about an elevator. So like it's just kind of absurd stuff. Like I play the theremin and Tom does like drums and synthesizers. And What's some a theremin? A theremin is like, you know, the um the Twilight Zone song with like the spooky, mm -hmm. like that's the noise that a theremin makes. So it's like these rods that conduct energy and then you move your fingers around and it makes the rods make like it makes noises it's like hooked up to an amp and it makes noises so you've gotten into that since you came over to america or yeah yeah it's something like i always wanted to get a theremin like in new zealand too and, like i thought maybe that would be something i did during covid or when i was like trapped in the house all the time but i never did and then i came over here and just picked it up so did yeah you, you met your partner over here yeah i met my partner two days after i moved back wow on the internet <laughs> is that kind of odd that he's like you're from new zealand and he's from uh, hawaii well we're both from baltimore originally yeah yeah so we but have a lived. lot yeah we have a lot in common like he grew up in the adjoining town to where I, my parents kept their boat, like when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And we know some of the same people from like high school and stuff, but we never mm -hmm. met each other. So we've got a lot in common. And he lived in Hawaii for like five years and moved back maybe like six months before I moved back. So there's a lot like it's an island community there too, you know? So like, feeling like it's a really small community and then also like a large population of like pacific islanders and their culture is like similar in hawaii to new zealand so you think they have a poetry community over there i mean they would have to but i mean maybe. that's a good question they definitely have a couple at least one press so i remember looking into that for the book bookstore i was like looking for other small communities and like other presses and i know i found a cool one in hawaii but i think it was related to a university and they were publishing a lot of work from like other small pacific islands too um and i know that my partner tom was helping to run an art space over there in honolulu um that shut down since then but he's been saying there's a lot of like small arts venues that have popped up since he moved back to this to maryland like that are happening over there now um 
And I don't know. I think most of those are like music venues. But the arts community he was involved in did all kinds of different events. They would do like movie events and visual arts and music and stuff. So I'm sure there were poetry things happening there. Yeah, the only artist I know over there is uh, Adam JK. I think he he lives over there with his partner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Do you know him? That's a name that's really familiar. Yeah. He was friends with uh, Sarah Jane Alexander. I think she's from Baltimore. Oh, so. yeah. No, I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Have I mean, that's Sarah another person. Like, Sarah Jean is another person who, like, when everything was kicking off with Alt-Lit, was in Baltimore also. Like, I remember hanging out at her apartment in Baltimore. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did y'all meet on the internet? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Are you impressed that they're like everyone's still or those people are still within like still writing and so many yeah. people have dropped off? Absolutely. I mean, even in like like I, I was mentioning my master's program, like there's a handful of people I know from that that are still writing. So I'm always impressed when like people I knew like 10, 15 years ago in the scene are still writing because there's so many people who aren't or at least what? not publicly. You what know? do you think you would credit to people like who have stopped or like gone by the wayside? Just like having to live a life and having to work, probably. Or losing maybe... some of them, and probably some of them just changing interests, you know? Like, I feel that too. Like, right now, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'll always be writing poetry throughout my life but like right now i haven't written technically i haven't written a poem all year because i've just been writing for those for the bands um i don't know i feel like some people just don't get like i feel like it's impressive in some ways that some people just don't get too hung up on a specific medium and they're like yeah i'm gonna no. do this other thing now like my life is changing and i'm just gonna go with that flow I think the people who connect really deeply with writing hopefully are finding an outlet for that somewhere. Like obviously people like El you know, Lucy are yeah. finding literally just still through writing. But then yeah. like there's other people who I feel like find it through music or yoga or something else, you know? Yeah. I also think like when earlier when we were talking and like how you were kind of inspired because someone else had created something. You got inspired by that. I think also the reverse is also true. I think after the Rogan Buck thing, that negativity, I think a lot of people stopped writing and stopped, you know, even being on the internet, which is probably a positive thing. But I think people just stopped because of that and those controversies that happen. Yeah. I think at least... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like at least publicly, like, I don't know what those people were still doing in their private lives, but yeah, it did. I mean, I was glad to be in New Zealand when all of that was happening, because I don't know whether I would have still felt connected to a writing community if I was in the States or if I would have kept feeling so like feeling so amped up about poetry if I didn't have a completely separate community to sort of delve into and lean on because that 
when all that went down, it really just felt like all that was over, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think that has changed for me. Like, I think that's still, you know, like, I don't think there was ever a resurgence or anything. Yeah. Do you think if you didn't, if you didn't have a community, you would be as creative if you were just alone? Who knows? I mean, I think about that a lot because, like, as a kid, I didn't need a community to be creative. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's probably the way most kids are, you know? Like, I could just sit in my room and, like, make random shit for hours and not really think about an audience or who else might look at it or why I was doing it. It just felt good. Um, so... In an ideal world, I feel like if I didn't have a community, I could get back to that where I was just like in my own world creating stuff. But I feel like that's harder as an adult. Oh, yeah. Because there's just so many other influences and like things to worry about and think about and take care of. Um, So I don't know if it would work out like that. But yeah. yeah. As a kid, I used to create a lot more when I was alone. And then when you're an adult, you do have all this other shit and these worries and the anxieties of yeah. jobs and all this other crap. Yeah. So you don't really, I know. You know. I miss that. I definitely miss that. Did you ever but, write fan fiction? Sort of. I didn't think I did. Like when I would first hear, when I first heard about fan fiction, I was like, Oh, that's weird. I've never done that. But then now that I think about it as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I totally was. Like, I wrote this play when I was in middle school that was about all of my friends and every single one of, like, every single one of my friends, their, one of their, like, their main celebrity crush was in the play, too. And I remember to this day, because my friends, like, still bring it up with me sometimes, that... (laughs) My friend, I had, like, the culmination of this, like, play was this pool party where all of us were there and all these celebrities were there. And Aaron Carter showed up because he was my friend Lauren's crush. And he murdered a ton of people. Wow. Like, he was, like, he was a murderer. And they're still like, remember that play where Aaron Carter murdered everyone? So, like, if you count that as fan fiction, then yes, I was doing fan fiction. But at the time, I didn't even know. That's what it was called. I was just writing weird stuff. <laughs> Didn't he get murdered? Did he get murdered? Yeah. Aaron um, no, but I did watch that documentary that just came out about him. And his life was really sad. Um, I think he died of an overdose because he got oh. like really heavy into drugs. But yeah. Was that ever a danger to you or like a temptation like drugs? that a danger or temptation um no not really i i don't know <laughs> i i haven't really done that many drugs when you think about it i guess um like i i don't have a problem with any drugs when other people are doing them or if i want to do them but i don't think i have a very addictive personality so is, it, is marijuana legal down in Maryland? 
Yes. There you go. Um, it's like, yeah, I mean, I smoke weed almost every day. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's what you're talking about with drugs. That doesn't seem very uh, sinister to me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like in this weird place right now where I think it's legal, but you can't, like, it's in the process of becoming completely legal. I think something's happening in July. But right now, you can't just buy weed from, like, a dispensary without a medical card. But mm -hmm. you can get Delta 9. So, like, you can go into a dispensary and get gummies or, like, pre-rolls of Delta 9. But it's not, it's, like, semi-synthetic, I guess, or something. And it's, like, a different effect. What's Delta like, 9? Um. Well, there's Delta 8 and Delta 9 are, like, synthetic cannabis i guess oh um and like it has a harsher effect i would say like if mm. you do a delta eight or delta nine gummy like i did one um a couple days before christmas this past year at my friend's like dance party and i had bought I had bought a bunch of gummies at a um flea market which is probably a bad idea and it was, I think, Delta 9. And the guy was like, they're really powerful. So, like, because he gave me six. And he was like, you definitely don't want to take them all at the same time because you'll be, like, flat on your ass for days. It's like, okay. And then I go to this party. And I was, like, giving some to my friends. And I took one. And you know how gummies, like, you don't feel the effects for, like, an hour at least. Yeah, or, like, half like an hour two. to an hour. Yeah. So I was like, I don't and I, I was like, I waited a while and I was like, I still don't feel anything. I'll take another. And then I'm just like at this party. So I end up taking a third one and I was high for like four days straight. And it was unpleasant. <laughs> it was just unpleasant. Cause it's like right around Christmas, I was like making lasagna for like 10 people and like going to my partner's mom's house and stuff. Oh, and I was man. just like, I don't actually want to be high for all of this. But it was very powerful. But yeah, I like I like to like be able to just be a little bit more in control of oh, yeah. how long the effects are. So what was it like going over? That, but yeah, what? What was it like going over to your uh, partner's mom's house while you were high? <laughs> it was just like it was just like uncomfortable. Cause like she's a cool, she's a cool mom. She's an artist, and like I, sh I should have just I didn't know her extremely well at that point, so I was just hiding it. And Tom was like, "Yeah, let's just watch some TV or something." Like trying to keep it low key so I wouldn't feel really uncomfortable. But now I've I went on a cruise with her and my partner, like. A couple like a month or two ago i guess we did like a seven day cruise to the bahamas and it was all of us that was our first cruise and his mom snuck on um edibles like oh, <laughs> she's shit. she's into edibles too and, and we were like that's too scary like don't bring the edibles like they say that they're gonna like have like drug sniffing dogs searching everything but she like put them in a vitamin like jar where the vitamins look almost identical to the gummies and then like we would be going to like 
because they have all this entertainment. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise. No. But they have all this like they have all this like entertainment. So like you go and there's like a stage and like people do, performing like song and dance numbers. And then they have like com- comedians that like are on the boat and like do a couple different shows every night. So we were just like eating edibles and going to these shows and thinking they were like the best things we'd ever seen. <laughs> so it definitely kept us entertained. And if I'd known at Christmas that she was into edibles, then I wouldn't have felt uncomfortable or weird. But at the time, I had no idea. But now I've done edibles with her. So. It's a little yeah. bit different. <laughs> I think a lot of the older generation, they're like more accepting of it after it became like medically like legal to use. Because down here in Oklahoma, it's yeah. like medically do it. Yeah, I have a lot of friends now who talk about their parents doing edibles, which feels like it never would have happened 15 years ago oh, yeah. with those same people. I don't know if my mom would ever do it because she's like, I don't know if she even knows what edibles are. Because, like, Tom and I will, like, say, like, oh, yeah, we should do edibles sometimes. She's like, that sounds great. But I don't think she knows what it is. So did your parents always live in uh, Maryland? Yeah, I'm, I'm literally in the house I grew up in now. Like, I, yeah, I lived in one house growing up through till I went to college. And then... They've lived in this house since maybe 1984 or something like that. Wow. Did they grow up there? My mom's from Long Island in New York, and my dad's from Towson in Maryland, which is like a couple towns away from where this house is. Yeah. And their family lives there too? They've always lived there? Who? Who? Your family, they've always lived there, like their parents? Um, Yeah, my dad's parents always lived in Maryland. And, um, well, his brother moved to California, and his sister stayed in the Maryland area. And then my mom's family either stayed in Southampton in Long Island or went to, like, Pennsylvania. So, mostly still like Eastern Seaboard, but then the one, the one who went over to California, yeah. So you've been an editor of many publications and magazines. What do you enjoy about the editing uh, process? Um, I think it depends on the publication. Like, um. For, I mean, I haven't done straight-up editing in a while now. But I think... At, when I first started, I think what I enjoyed about it was trying to... Um, trying to sort of, like, have that attitude of, like, oh, it's going to be the best it can be with my eyes on it. I think I've really grown away from that, though. Like, that was, like, young me, fresh out of, like, you know, taking workshops and stuff, thinking, like, there's there's a way to fix these poems that they're perfect and everybody's going to love them. 
mm-hmm. and like wanting to edit things to make them better. But then the latest thing I did with editing besides helping out with some edits and well, Gay and I did the edits for Rachel's book, but the other three were a combination of Ash and Stacy with like my eyes on it at the ends. So before the press, I would say the thing I was doing the most editing with was the food court reading series because we would always have a zine that would come out with the reading. So like the idea there, just briefly, was we were asking a bunch of people to read who had nothing published. And we wanted the people coming to the reading who might not know everyone at the reading might only know one big name. We wanted them to be able to take something with them that had writing from everyone at the reading. Um, And especially that would give people who didn't really have any publishing history a platform to say, well, I've been published through food court scene. Um, And for that, I always made a point that we didn't edit um, because it was just like this quick zine put together for the reading. It was anybody could submit whatever they wanted as long as it fit on the pages and there was no editing involved. And I think like now that's more my vibe. Obviously with books, it's different because with a poetry book, you're generally trying to figure out an order and trying to figure out sort of some level of cohesion between the poems in terms of like stylistic choices and stuff. But if it's just a singular poem, I'm kind of in the mode where I like it to be sort of just freely what the person wants to submit rather than something like heavily edited by an editor to try to fit it to some sort of um, expectations of that magazine or that online publication or whatever. That's a really creative idea for like a reading to like put out a zine for people. Who I would love published. to do that again too. Yeah. What other ideas did y'all do that were like along the lines of that? What else did we do? Um, or maybe like an idea that didn't like go through as well as you would have liked maybe, or like fell through. I don't know. Sure. Um, a couple other things we did, we would do like food court buy something else, like, you know, like collaborations with other creative groups. Um, so I know we did one that was like just a one-off issue where we collaborated with another local um, literary magazine and between, I think it was like between like four editors between like the two zines um, or two literary magazines or whatever, we um, we ended up doing a reading at my house and a zine that came out with that reading that was a beefier one, like it was a bigger journal. I think it wrote, there were maybe like 20 or 25 people in it and then maybe like five people from the from the lit mag one-off sort of lit mag thing 
um, read at the house and then we gave away copies and then sold copies later. Because that was the thing too. It was like, I forget if it worked that way with that one, but with the zine that we would give away at the readings, it was free. So um, you could you could donate if you wanted to, but anybody who showed up would get a zine regardless of whether they paid or not. Um, and that was something I really liked doing too because it didn't feel like, like the whole purpose was we want you to go, hey, like leave the reading and still have some of this writing with you so that like something that I found going to a ton of readings when that was possible, which I don't feel like right now is possible for me because I can't mm -hmm. find them. But when I was going to readings like every week or multiple times a week, both in the States with Alt-Lit and then with the Wellington community, I was forgetting who I was seeing, what they were writing, where I could find them. You know, uh, someone would come up and announce their name and where they came from and maybe say the name of their publication. But if you weren't taking notes... I would wake up the next day and be like, I have no idea what I like, what information they just gave me. So that was like why I wanted to make the zines. Cause it was like, then you can just take something home with you and you have their names and you have an example of their poems and you can see whether you like them or not. And like, you can reread it. You can search for them online. You can do whatever, like their bio is there. So you have information you can take away with you. And it would have kind of defeated the purpose if you had to pay for it because a bunch of people wouldn't have paid for it and, like, would have missed out on seeing that. So, making That's it free. That's a really yeah. great fucking idea that I've never <laughs> even considered. I think I got it. I mean, I certainly didn't just make it up. I'm sure I got it from somewhere at the time because I was just kind of, like, that's all I ever did was just, like, see other people doing cool shit and then take pieces of that and make it what I wanted. Like, I, in no way do I think I like made up that idea, but I forget where it came from. Do you do that in your poetry? Take stuff from, what do you mean? Or not like, not plagiarize, but just like be inspired by, or maybe, yeah. Just, I, don't know. I mean, yeah. That's something that I, like, talk about with other writers here. Like, I mean, not to keep bringing him up, but, like, my partner, Tom, writes poetry, too. But he's a musician, first and foremost, so he doesn't read poetry. Like, I'll read poetry to him, and he's like, man, you really like poetry. And it's like, well, yeah, and I think you do, too, you know? But, like, for me, it's like, if I'm writing poetry... I can sit down and write poetry without ha like without really having read anything in a while, but it it generally isn't going to turn out as well as if I sort of have a flow for poetry from like reading it myself, you know? Yeah. So like, I'm always going to be poet like if I'm doing it right and I'm in the flow of reading a lot of poetry or reading a lot of poetic things. And then I'm writing. That's that's that feels the best to me. Like rather than just kind of writing from a void where I'm not really reading anything else. So maybe it would be more 
authentically me if I wasn't reading anybody else's stuff because I wouldn't have any other people's ideas in my head, but it would just not be as good either. So yeah, I'm sure I pull from other people and like, you know, a lot of my writing, I, I couldn't tell you what came first, whether it was like I meshed with New Zealand writers because they write about nature or I started writing about nature because I saw all of them writing about nature and I liked it. You know, it's like, I don't really know what came first, but obviously I was, especially while I was over there, I was definitely feeling creatively influenced by all of that. And like the people that I was having read my poems and reading their poems and meeting up with people to discuss poems with. I think like it's inevitably going to trickle into your own writing. Do you ever did you ever read Stacy or Ash's work and like fuck? I wish I could have done that. Or did they ever do that with your <laughs> writing? <laughs> Who knows if they did it with mine? Um, I think to a certain extent, yes. But I think both of them have such distinct voices that I couldn't have, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't have written what they write. Like Stacy has just always had such a distinctly Stacy voice to me. That's like, even from the very beginning when she was writing poems about dinosaurs, which I don't think she does anymore and would probably be embarrassed that I'm bringing it up. But like, even then she had like a poem about a, diplodocus and i remember just like being like this is so stacy and like even today it's just like the way she writes poems there's like a thoughtfulness to it that i don't think translates to what i write and like a quietness and like a almost like a slowness and then with ash like i mean she won that award in the UK for like eco poems because that's wow. like her thing it's like eco poetry and like and she's like you know very very inter into the environment and like not eating meat and that comes through in a lot of her poetry like I love like I don't know. I think she writes poetry about animals in a way that I want to write poetry about animals. But I think it comes through completely differently. I don't know if I've ever been jealous, but I definitely appreciate their writing. You know? Well, they probably feel the same about your writing, too. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, at some level, they'd have to respect you to like work alongside you, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's probably true. So when you're, do you mind if we keep going? No, that's fine. Okay. When you're, when you're reading poetry, who do you turn to? Who are your, some of your favorite poets to read and then write? Um, I mean, that's a great question. I feel like my, my go-to answer for that has always been. And like, if I'm still going to recommend just like, a contemporary poet that I think people should get into if they don't read poetry and they don't understand why I am is Zachary Schomburg forever. You know, 
like scary no scary is like my go-to recommendation for anyone like that i haven't read a new book by zachary in a few years i guess where's he from i've never heard of him where the hell is he from i don't know i want to say like minnesota or something but that's probably wrong somewhere in the states is he from the indie uh, community yeah um Black Ocean, I think, is his publisher. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, I read his book when I was first getting into Altlet. Like, that was one mm. of the first ones with, like, his stuff and, like, um, what the heck? I'm trying to think of her name. I don't know. You have to get back to me about what I was going to try to think about. But um, there was like a, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was a collaborative work between two people who I think were a couple at the time. And she was like, she was a sex worker in New York, I want to say. Get back to me. I'll try to figure it out. But anyway, that was, like, around that time when I was reading their work and I was reading, like... Um, Aaron Taylor, maybe? No, it wasn't. Oh. I think it started with an M. It was The book was called, like, Morocco, maybe? I don't know. Does that ring any bells? Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, but... Did you ever want to live in New York if you were on the internet and like connected to the indie community? Um, do I did I want to live in New York? No, I didn't want to live in New York. It's so expensive and overwhelming. I like visiting New York. I liked visiting um friends from Alt Lit in New York when that was possible. Mm. I remember when Lucy was living in New York um, and like Peter BD would come visit and that whole group. I remember going to New York with Anna C. That was a good trip to New York. I think I've heard of her. I think people recommend me <laughs> reading her. Yeah. Anna C is still, still making books and still writing poetry. Um, she's from San Diego. Oh. But a bunch of us went to New York one summer and, like, stayed um, with someone who lived there at the time and did poetry readings on the rooftops and stuff. Yeah. I always had a good time doing that, but I just felt like this is way too big of a city for me. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess if you went from Maryland to New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, I was New York. In, yeah, I was living in D.C. before I moved to New Zealand. Um, and I, I, I feel like there's still a pretty good writing community there, too. I feel like maybe Baltimore is the only one that fizzled out in this area. Because, like, like I said, I think there's still stuff going on in... Or I think there's new stuff going on in Philly. I think there's still stuff going on in D.C. 
Um, and that's like a, a big city, I guess. But most people who are there aren't necessarily creatives. So the community there of creative people felt small and manageable. Um, and then in Wellington, obviously, that's a small, small city. And that felt really manageable. But, How many people live in Wellington? Um, that's a great question. I feel like in the city center, I feel like it's like 50,000 people or something. And then like the region is a lot bigger. Yeah. Um, so I think this is saying what the size of it is. I don't know if this is including like the surrounding areas. It looks like it is. It's 212,000 people in like the Wellington region. So it's small. Yeah. And you, like, yeah, I don't know. Going to New York, it feels very unmanageable. <laughs> yeah. When you're editing with uh, Stacy and Ash, were there ever disagreements about whether something like a line or a word was not how you would edit it and they chose to edit it a certain way? Yeah, for sure. I think um, Jay and I really backed off having any creative control like that at the beginning. Like, a manuscript would come in and all of us would read it and make a decision about it. And either Stacy or Ash or both of them would put their hand up and say, I want to edit this one. I think, um, I think with Phi, they edited it equally. And then with Rachel's book, Jay and I edited it equally. And then with the later two that I was still a part of, um, Cadence's book and Kadra's book, they like one of them sort of took the lead but they were still kind of like working collaboratively like checking in with each other about certain things so for that process i would i would say that if there were <clears throat> excuse me if there were any disagreements it was probably between the two of them um and then once it got back to me and to jay it was minor changes you know like like more more so like trying to make it stylistically like an overarching like oh you used a comma this way here so we have to do it that way in this poem or like oh like you you styled this with a capital letter here so you know you're using the same name in this later poem we should do it the same there so i don't feel like there was a huge amount of like pushback about how to edit it at that level um yeah i'm sure i'm sure there was some especially maybe with cadro's book because cadro had um a lot of input about any changes so it was like 
in the final stages, we'd be making changes and then Stacy would have to go back to Cadro and check about a lot of different things. But it was really different each book. Do you all sit down with the writer and like at a table and like go over it or do you like do it through email? Um, we mostly just did it through email. Okay. I think with Rachel, there was like a meeting where we went through the manuscript with them at one point. Um, but to be honest, they gave us two manuscripts and we were, I, I would have wanted to publish both of them, but we chose to publish one first because it was more polished. And most of that in-person meeting was about the other one that wasn't as close to being ready. So I feel like most of what we were getting in felt solidly like a collection already. Not just Rachel's, but the other three, four, five, et cetera, I think. And I was a part of the production of four and the acquiring of six total books. So like one that's since been published, but I didn't really have much to do with the actual editing process of that at all. And then one that I believe is still in the works to come out soon. So I don't know um, beyond that, but I do know, especially with like, the first six that I had my eyes on, we were making the decision to publish based on the fact that it was like pretty far advanced already to be publishable. So was it all a fairly easy process though? Was it all pretty smooth sailing between the three of you? I think between the four of us, it was, yeah, I think between us, it was pretty smooth sailing. I think more so the um since we're working with a lot of people where it was their first collection it's like a high anxiety situation for the author for the poet and so i think any sort of um anxieties or issues that came up during the editing process were usually between all of us on the editorial team and publishing team and the author and like trying to appease the author and like make sure they felt confident with any changes we were making or any decisions about the covers. Like I know for a couple of the covers, there were definitely some hesitations on our end about what the author wanted on the cover, but we always ended up deferring to the author. And I think my fear was like, oh, that doesn't look quite like the standard poetry collection looks. And so people might not pick it up on the shelves. But then literally the two where that really came into question won the awards. So mm -hmm. obviously it didn't really matter in the end. And like, I'm really glad, even though at some points I was definitely the one being like, we can't do it this way. But like everyone else was like, no, this is the way we should do it. And I was like, okay guys, we'll do it that way. And like, I'm really glad we did because it's like, 
I think part of it for the writer and that this like gets looked over when it's like a larger press is like you feel more confident about your book if it looks the way you want it to mm -hmm. even though that's not necessarily like what everyone's reading it's what they're looking at and picking up and holding in their hand and like if it can feel like them, then they're going to be a lot more confident about it. Did you feel like everyone had a fair say when you were over there? The yeah, I think so. Yeah, and like the feedback we were getting from the writers was that we were like being really careful with them and that they really appreciated that. And I think that that would definitely, <laughs> as far as I know, that's something that Ashton stacy are continuing I mean, it's probably good that you had three people you know so they could look over something and then you would finally look at something or maybe with your partner check over everything as you're talking about like capital letters because i feel like sometimes that those things do get missed yeah if you're just like one person yeah for sure i think it helps um and I think with the larger presses that I'm aware of, they often outsource that, that like aspect, but mm -hmm. um, to just a singular person who's then in charge of editing the entire collection and to mixed results, you know, sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes so that means that the one person is really looking over everything really carefully. And sometimes it means that you know, certain subjects that they're not completely familiar with or certain ideas that they don't really know about get completely overlooked in terms of, like, factual issues and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. When you came back over here with all your experience, did you just, like, is it easy to find a job with all that experience that you have? No. I mean, I was working in the bookshop before I moved, and then... That all shut down a couple months before I moved. And I haven't found work in like a creative field since then. I mean, like you own um, like a bookstore. I feel like that should be like a big deal. <laughs> I feel like most people over here don't even have a clue that I did, you know? Um, it's something I would like to do again at some point, like, but I don't know when. Um, or at least something in that field of like having a shop with like specific things in it. I really liked working in a bookshop. What are your favorite things about working in a bookshop? Um, let's see. Um, we had a book club. I really liked running the book club. Um, I just, I liked, so with the art shop, it was like, I, it was mostly independent presses. So there was a, the majority of the books in the bookshop, because there's a really small bookshop, were published in New Zealand. <laughs> and like, instead of just having the latest release from a small press we had like the whole back stock of everything so 
and the idea that and everything was organized by press rather than by author like it was like you know you could go to a specific shelf and it would just be everything from a specific press and that kind of I really liked being able to bring people over to the shelves and be like oh you liked this one book by this press how about checking out these other ones or oh you like this one book by this author here are four other books they've published from the same press that are equally amazing um and just having that visual to show people where in other bookshops they would have to special order it for themselves and know about it and what we were trying to do was take that guesswork out and be like here it is you can buy it right now um so i really loved being able to kind of just do whatever we wanted on the shelves and pick whatever books we wanted to stock because we weren't part of a big chain or trying to make a million dollars out of our bookshop mm -hmm. we just wanted to like show people what was on offer um i really liked that aspect i really liked working with like local people because we had a whole zine section so people would come in with their zines and like wow. show them to us and then we would like sell them on their behalf and stuff um and then like i said the book club it was like international small press books only um because we had a small international press like space and then whenever we got stock from a specific press we would pick one book from that press to make the book club for that month and order like 20 copies of that and then i mean it was literally just like people coming in or word of mouth or maybe some social media stuff but like we consistently sold out every month with the book club like people would buy in for it and then come as we would have like a physical meeting in the shop whenever covid wasn't preventing that and mm -hmm. we would just like get to have this monthly space where we like talked about this weird book and i really appreciated that too that's really good ideas like very creative ideas it seems like it sounds like almost even like like an internet site but that's like a physical location yeah yeah because we had like we had a online store too um and like i said we started the shop right at the beginning of covid basically or the first year of COVID. So there were times when we couldn't even come into the physical shop or have customers in the physical shop. So there was always that element of having an online shop and being able to still deliver books. Because a lot of the times, like, if the people were ordering books from within Wellington and they were ordering online, I would just, like, pack up their books and, like, deliver them to their mailbox myself. Oh. So it was Damn, like very hand tiny. <laughs> yeah, it was like very hand hands-on. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, many, many, many trips around the town just delivering books to people's mailboxes. <laughs> That's pretty dope though. It was so fun. Yeah. I bet you felt like proud going in every day and like kind of hanging yeah. out with your friends doing something you're passionate about. 
I know. Well, because we created it as like it was tiny, but like there was space for readings. We had some like musicians come and play in the space and like really pared down stuff, but like really fun events. And like every single day, at least one friend, often Stacy, would like walk past and come in and chat with us for like an hour or half an hour or whatever. Like, people made it like a pit stop on their way home or on their route walking. And like, I met a lot of people there who like, you know, were sort of in the creative scene, but I hadn't met before, or just even people in the who lived in the neighborhood, like, cause I would bring my Greyhound every day. Like she had her own bed in the shop and stuff. And so this like lady who lived down the road, her, um, her um Dotson, I guess that's how you say that name, like you know, like a hot dog dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had like he was alive for a little while when the store opened and he would like come visit and like made friends with my greyhound, but then he died and she was like just distraught. Oh no. <laughs> so she would bring like dog treats for my dog, like at least once a week and just have like a little chat and like hang out with the dog and stuff. And yeah, it was just a really nice like community center. Yeah. Were y'all making a profit off that? Not really. No, yeah. I think we are mostly breaking even. And then New Zealand did really did a lot for small businesses with like the COVID relief funds and stuff. So we were getting money from the government for a long time there and that helped keep us afloat. But like it didn't shut down because of financial issues or anything. It yeah. just shut down because Jay didn't want to run it anymore. Yeah, I don't really care about like financials and stuff. I just ask because yes. it's interesting to hear about the behind the scenes stuff of people's projects. <laughs> yeah. I think you got to try and... I don't even know how you would like try to even open one over here. Like maybe go around to DIY bookshops around Maryland. I don't even know. I don't have any good ideas. Yeah. I mean, I think over here, the closest things I've seen to what we were doing is record shops. Yeah, that sounds about right. There's a record shop that my friend Steve helps run in Baltimore called True Vine. And they do like experimental noise shows out of their record shop. And it's just like one small room, extremely DIY, like just a couple people running the space and the hours are all weird. Cause it's kind of like week to week, they might not be able to come in when you want them there and stuff. And mm -hmm. it feels very similar to what I was doing with the bookshop. Um, so I definitely have found some spaces that feel like home like that you know but they're not always necessarily bookshops maybe hopefully there would be like new zealand poets down in maryland you could try to fight maybe that's too specific <laughs> yeah who knows um there's at least one other writer in new zealand who's from baltimore um this guy brian walpert who was like somebody I got connected with before I even moved there who worked at Massey University over in Wellington, which is like a different university in Wellington um, than the one I was talking about before. And he's, uh, he writes poetry. He also writes fiction. 
<laughs> I think fiction is what he's mostly working on these days. But I I was connected with him before I moved to New Zealand um, because he was friends with someone that uh, taught me at Maryland. So I talked to him a bit about sort of the scene in Wellington. And then when I moved over there, we only connected a couple of times. Like we did a conference together and that was about it. Um, and then the crazy thing is once I moved back here, I went to a part, like a Christmas party. I think it was a Christmas party at someone's house. Cause there's, um, over here in Baltimore, there's a special currency in Baltimore, B-notes, that was started by, like, just local Baltimore people to, like, that, like, is still in effect, like, in some stores, like, you can use B-notes instead of American dollars. And a friend of mine had, like, worked in the company and knew the guy who developed it and this guy who developed it was having a Christmas party at his house so I was invited along and I turn around and Brian Wolpert is there wow he his one of his parents had also passed away like six oh. months after mine did so he was back in town sort of doing the same shit I was doing trying to like figure out his family and like how his remaining parent was going to be taken care of and stuff and he was just there for a couple weeks and he was just like i can't believe you're here so uh, i don't know a small world but yeah basically there are people in baltimore with connections to new zealand like me but yeah how i would find them all i'm not sure maybe just bump into them randomly like i did with brian yeah so it's been around two hours is there anything else you want me to ask and one final question do you still talk to stacy and ash on a regular basis um i haven't recently um i think like they the last we spoke was about when they were just letting me know that they wanted to sort of rename the press and take it off in their own direction how did you feel about know, that? um I mean, sad. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely, I wish that there had been a way that we could have all worked together, but they just couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And I want the press to continue and thrive. So the only way that I could see that happening with me over here and then on the ground over there was letting them take it you know, letting them do what they wanted with it. Um, it's definitely, I wasn't ever planning on not being a, you know, not being a publisher for that press, but it's kind of out of my hands is how I feel. Well, you could, you, start a, you could start a podcast and interview them on a regular <laughs> basis and support <laughs> their books. Yeah, I know. I mean, I feel like there's more I could be doing from over here to continue supporting them. Um, yeah, and hopefully in the future I can. But yeah, I mean, I, I think they're doing a great job of it. So that's definitely not a concern. I just wish I could be more of a part of it. Um, but no, we haven't talked in a while, but I think that's just um, distance you know mm -hmm. and probably the time zone shit 
it's like very vastly different yeah for sure um and then you asked if i wanted to mention anything else i mean not really like i don't really i don't have a lot of poetry stuff coming up um i think a few books that i've read that came out in new zealand either this year or last year that i would hype up is like um joanna cho's book um leah dodd's book and um claudia jardine's book um and then i think it must have been last year um that it came out there was this weird thing that happened um with rebecca hawks's book meat lovers um which has been really well received but I have it. you have it good yeah. yeah i was gonna say that's a favorite of mine um and actually what happened with hers is that she and i both published chat books in a series called aup new poets which is the auckland university press um we were both in aup aup new poets five which was like a physical book that collected three chat books and the two of us alongside um sophie van wardenson were the three in that volume and then because she had already published that chat book they um disqualified her from being eligible to have a first book of poems like in that category of the first book of poems That's they shit. disqualified her from it because she had had this chat book <laughs> that she shared with two other people that's stupid so i mean i i guess i shouldn't be too pissed because cadro's book won instead which is one that i worked on publishing but it would have been nice to have it go up against rachel's book and i or, or sorry rebecca's book and i think i think rebecca's book deserved to be honored in that way and probably and very likely could have won you know um so you i could make your own prize and award it to her I know. <laughs> but yeah i don't know those are books that i would recommend reading since i'm not really working on anything myself right now and then also uh, we haven't put anything up yet but um i'm i'm making a lot of tracks for clam strip so I guess on Bandcamp and stuff and Instagram, if anybody's interested in looking up Clamstrip soon, there's going to be an album up there, which is... If you could infuse the two, the music and the poetry together, how do you think you would go about doing that? Maybe like a, a reading at a music event? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I've thought about this a lot because last year I saw um this duo from california perform both in baltimore and philly and what they do it's poetry and and experimental like noise music so they're using synthesizers and also i don't even know what it's called but it's like this heat lamp that produces noise like when you like move the 
when you move the light bulb around, it like makes all these crazy noises. So they're using all these sort of like found objects and synthesizers to make noise that kind of goes along as this like eerie background to their poetry. And I think ideally poets need more of that, like more, more of like a backing, like more stuff happening, like more involved. Like there's some pretty cool examples of poets that do that sort of stuff. Um, and poetry performances that do that sort of stuff. But I think if I were going to do it, it would be in that direction where it would be music and poetry together. More like entertainment infused within the poetry. Yeah. And also I think like, I don't know. It's like poetry can be kind of hard to access, especially if you're going to a poetry reading, like, a lot of people who go to see bands play don't also go to see poets read. And it's like just such an expansion of like who you're reaching and how your brain is processing it too, because like you process music on such a different level than poetry. And like you can, you can listen to music that doesn't have lyrics that makes you feel really emotional too. Oh yeah. And so like, if you have that element and also the poetry, I think it's like a more like cohesive, like experience where you're like accessing people on like, a, on more fields, like more levels. <laughs> yeah. There's like, I don't know if this is like goes with your point. There's like a magazine like a news magazine over in New Zealand where it like it features poetry but it also features like community and arts and all this other stuff that I don't see really over here maybe in America maybe like maybe like really snobbish magazines like New Yorker maybe <laughs> but like I don't know I just I always like I like that I guess over in New Zealand do you know what I'm talking about like it's like called this not the spot or something like Stacy was published in it and she had a poem there a few months ago. I forget. Oh shit. No, I don't know what you're talking about specifically, oh. but I think that idea is like, again, maybe it's not actually um, reality, but like in, in my world, it was reality where like I went from feeling like, in the States, everyone sort of has to pick a lane and stick with it. Exactly, And then yeah. going to New Zealand, and if you're creative, you're, you're considered, like, if you, if you're, like, a visual artist, and then you're also a musician, it's not like, oh, that's a visual artist, like, who's dabbling in music. It's like, oh, yeah, there's that person who's, like, really good at art and music, and, like, nobody makes a distinction about which like a hierarchy of like what their primary like what their primary creative outlet is and then what they're just doing for fun it's like oh no they're like you know a woodworker and a musician and it's not like oh no 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 like they're just a woodworker who sometimes makes music or they're just a musician who's like 
side, you know, can make a cabinet if they want to. Like, I don't know. It's just, it feels different where like having that space to experience a different style of like how creativity is perceived. It felt different in New Zealand where it's like, it's acceptable to be good at more than one type of creative project it's more fluid. in the states it feels a little bit more rigid where it's like mm -hmm. it's less easy for someone to see someone as like capable of multiple creative outputs or something who's your favorite band that like infuses poetry into their music i guess i told you i should let you go so i should probably let you go <laughs> That's um Dude, I don't know. Who's what band with poetry? I mean, I feel like this is going to this is completely um potentially going to change your whole <laughs> um your whole like perspective on me if you don't like them. But growing up, I feel like the band that made me think in a poetic way without me realizing it was poetic was red hot chili peppers okay i know that's like i don't know not that many people think they're that great but like growing up i was like really into them because of like the way that they would put words together so to me that's like close to the idea of like poetry what's your favorite um, use but i sorry What's your favorite use of their uh, practice of doing this, of putting words together? My favorite use of like Red, Red Hot Chili Peppers doing that. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like on the Californication album, I was like just into um how a lot of the songs didn't feel like they meant anything lyrically in terms of like um like you'd listen to it or read it and not and it didn't really make a lot of linear sense but then you'd hear it and it would feel very emotive mm -hmm. i feel like that's like in hip-hop or like rap yeah maybe I don't have as much experience with that. But then I would say, like, actually poetic musicians that I like to listen to is, like, York and stuff. When you write, like, a poem and you haven't read a lot, do you, like, is there a form that you just naturally go to? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, yeah, I guess, like, fairly short lines and not a lot of line breaks. And then usually that's sort of like the first way it appears unless I'm trying to think about what style I'm going to put it into. And then um, sometimes that'll change as I'm editing it. Like I'll put in line breaks or I'll change the lengths of the lines or format it differently. But if I'm just sitting and writing sort of blankly, it comes out like that and you started writing poetry did you start as it as a way of journaling maybe 
<laughs> or did you have a journal and wrote poetry? Um, I never really thought about it as journaling, but I think a lot of things that I would journal about were coming out through my early poetry. I feel like yes. I had a journal. I had a journal growing up. Um, but in high school, my parents read my journal and then read it aloud to me. Oh God. And Why? like, were like very critical of, well, cause they were, they were very concerned with my friends and my behaviors. And I grew up in a Catholic household. Oh. Um, and so they were very concerned with like, what I was doing at all times. And so, and unfortunately, which I, you know, they shouldn't have fucking read it, but um, I was also writing about like how boring and stupid I thought my parents were at the time. <laughs> and so they were like reading that out loud to me and being like, why did you write this about us? Wow. And like reading what I would say about my friends and then like stopping me from seeing my friends and stuff. It's like a workshop from hell. I know, so I I tended to stop. I I haven't really journaled in that traditional sense since then. So I feel like poetry became the outlet for me for that, you know, where I could do it in a more obscure way, where it wasn't just so obvious. Maybe even to myself, you know. Yeah. But I definitely don't. I don't always write personal poetry. Well, you know, a lot of the poetry I write has very little if or nothing to do with my personal life in a like in a factual sense, but it's more some sort of emotion I'm going through, or some sort of like thought I'm trying to get out. Mm -hmm. Do you ever want to like tell a story, I guess? use your emotions i don't know what i'm asking there i think <laughs> stacy when she when she started she was she said she was more like vulnerable and then over yeah. time she moved to a more stricter sense maybe of poetry yeah i think that that's that tracks from reading stacy's poetry i think like yeah for me it's like the goal has never been well i think in the early years of outlet my goal was to be very sort of frank about my actual life and like things i was doing and going through and maybe a bit of like shock value infused in there because that was what was popular at the time mm -hmm. um but i think in general when i'm writing it's like less about less about getting out like non-fictional things about me and more about like images I think about or problems that I'm trying to work through um or emotions that I haven't processed and then I start writing and like try to get it out on the page in a way that other people can feel it, but it isn't necessarily like just me and my perspective 
and like unrelatable. And I think that I think I still turn back to Zachary Schomburg for that sort of stuff because his poetry is really surreal, but really emotional. And I think that, you know, that's something that I still connect with. When you're writing a poem, do you imagine yourself reading it and you imagine the reaction that you're going to get from people? Not in the initial writing, but definitely in the editing. Mm -hmm. And do you go back and edit if like maybe you did a reading and the poem didn't hit that specific audience the way you intended to? Sometimes. Yeah, especially if I'm thinking about it for something bigger. Like if it's a one-off poem and I I'm reading it um, and it doesn't hit, I don't necessarily go right back and try and fix it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm using it again for like I'm submitting poems to a journal or I'm trying to, you know, put something together for a manuscript, that's when I'll go back and be like, oh, I really need to work on this one. Yeah. And I guess one last thing. Okay. <laughs> If Stacy and Ash were listening to this, what would you say to them? Oh shit! <laughs> Do you think they are listening to this, or is Will? They, I don't think they will because it's like two hours. I don't think Stacy's going to listen to something that's two hours long. I seriously doubt it. I don't know. I would say, um, you know, I hope things. I hope the press is. I don't know, like. I'm trying to put it into words. Like I, I hope they're um, they've got a lineup for the future that they want. I hope things are coming together the way they want. Um, I wish them the best, and if there's ever any room in the future for us to collaborate on something again. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I think you sh- they should totally do that with you. You know, yeah. what did that, like, inspire you, I guess? I think, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't put pressure on them to make you do stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they're such a unit. They've figured out what works for them. And like I said, for the press to continue doing what it's doing and for them to be able to have the ability to reprint the books that the four of us worked on together and to go forward with that same momentum. If that's what they wanted, then it makes the most sense for them to keep going with it that way. It just, I wasn't, I didn't feel completely done with it. You know, it's not like it was a clean break for me where I was like, yep, I did what I could. I don't have any more creative capacity for this. I'm out. Have fun with this. It happened in such a way because my life was in such turmoil with my dad passing and stuff that I was like, okay, this is the best for everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean I was done. So obviously, in my heart, like, if there was a way to to reincorporate something some sort of collaboration with me or whatever in the future obviously that would be ideal have you thought about starting a website and or starting something i don't know (laughs) 
I think I will. I just right now I'm kind of like in a dormant period, you know, yeah, like yeah. I just need to let myself regenerate a bit because last year was such a huge upheaval for me in so many different ways that I'm just trying to be gentle with myself and be like, yeah, you know, like I just don't want to push anything. Yeah. Like I have tons of ideas in my head all the time and I'm like, definitely not, um, not just like done but right now i feel like i just need to let myself simmer for a little while and like figure out what's next for me okay well i'll finally let you go it's been two hours (laughs) and 30 minutes all right well thank you so much for talking to me pretty good can you hear me yes can you hear, i guess you can hear me too yeah it made you download it made us both download the thing i don't know what happened no one has ever had to download anything before it must have just yeah. changed everything over the weekend yeah i don't know i just didn't have the app on my phone and my phone a couple weeks ago like stopped letting me download apps at all so i had to troubleshoot that but i got it so do you want to start off I read one of your poems. I could do that. Sure. Okay. You want to read one of the poems from, uh, do you have the, the collection that's like of all like gay New Zealand people? Yeah. Um, I'd have to find it, but yeah, I could do that. <laughs> 